0: Today we're going to go in a little bit different direction, and before I get to the message, I just want to take a moment. I want to share something exciting, and then I want to talk about a couple of big projects that we're preparing to launch here at Life Community Church. And so the first thing that I want to share with you here is this. Some of you, you were with us all the way back in 2017 when we launched our home building campaign. And so back then, it was a a huge thing. We were looking at trying to purchase this property, uh, including this building, the building next door, and the parking lot and god gave us a great opportunity and so um, many of you were incredibly faithful and incredibly generous both in tithing and giving and in giving specifically to that home building campaign and so today i want to uh, let you know that here just recently we were able to pay off our debt on these this facility (laughs) And so I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your uh, generosity. It's kind of a big deal to be debt free. And let me just say, this is not a finish line for our church. In fact, uh, since we're in football season, let me just say, it's like the, just like the end of the first quarter, okay? (laughs) We're just getting started. And there's a long ways to go in doing the work God's called us to do to reach into our community and to reach the world, and so we're, we're committed to that, and so um, we're excited about being out of debt for a couple reasons. One, it'll allow us to reach more people locally and around our world for the gospel, for, for the message of Jesus, and also, it will better position our church to minister to our community through both good times and hard times, and, and I'm excited about that. And as we look to the future, God continues to grow us, if you haven't noticed. Um, We are anticipating three services later this fall. And let me just say, uh, in the meantime... We'd love to have some of you. Uh, We still have a little more room on Saturday nights, and we'll even feed you pizza. So if you want to come on out, what we found is a lot of people try Saturday nights, and they're like, we love this, and they stick. So if you haven't tried Saturday nights yet, we'd love to have you come out 6 o'clock Saturday, identical service. And uh, as we look towards what God has for us in the future, I'm just saying it's pretty amazing. As you come here on a Wednesday night, man, our youth group has grown and just packing out this whole lobby area out here, which is great. We also have a lot of classes that happen midweek. We have marriage classes starting up, you know, both the blended families, the step family course, vertical marriage. We have Bible studies. We have a Hebrews ladies Bible study, all kinds of different things that go on here through the week that if all you do is come on the weekend, uh, maybe you haven't been part of yet. We'd love to have you get involved in some of those other things. And so all that to say, there's a ton of stuff going on here. And so we are looking, as we head into the future, to continue to make room for God uh, as he brings new people here. And then as as we minister throughout the week, and not just on the weekend, we've got some exciting projects coming up. And so the first one of those is this, uh, the building next door. Many of you, if you just have been coming for a while, you might not even know that's our building as well. Building B, our church offices are on the end uh, down there. And then we have a couple of these suites where we do Bible studies and things. And we are in the process of getting ready to do some construction. Our tenant that's been in there, well, before we even moved in, Edward Jones, they're moving across town, their lease expired, and they're moving across town. And uh, so we are going to be able to take over all of our units next door, and we are planning on combining them into a big multi-purpose space that can then also divide into three separate class kind of meeting spaces. And so we're excited about that. What that will allow us to do is split middle school and high school and have two separate spaces for youth group on the same night Uh, on Wednesdays. And so we're excited about that. This will also allow us to have some fantastic space um, during the week for all the different events, and all the different classes as we have marriage events and conferences and uh, different things and and some of the community using the space. We're going to have a great space uh, for that. So that's what we're planning to do next door in Building B. And then also we have submitted the final plans to the city. We're waiting on final approval uh, to go ahead and start developing that parking lot, which I saw a bunch of you parked on this morning. So thank you for doing that. Um, and some of you may be wondering, well, there's so much parking lot over that way. Why are we why are we spending money on a parking lot? Well, that shopping center recently sold. And uh, with the uh, common use parking agreement, if we want to use it, we're supposed to park way over on the other side of the old Safeway um, building over there. So some of you, you've been taking one for the team and walking. So thank you um, for doing that. But in the meantime, we know that just people being able to access our facility easily really helps people come and connect and move towards Jesus. And so we're getting ready to develop this um, parking lot out here. So it won't just be like it is right now. And that'll be a bit of a process. Now, as we get ready to do this, our heart is that we're going to do this debt free. So we're thankful that God's allowed us to get to this place where we're currently debt free. And so as we continue, as we do these two major um, projects, our commitment is to do this debt-free. Now, in order to do that, our goal right now, um, beyond existing funds, is to raise $250,000 to complete these two projects. And so we are, um, some of you um, still give to our building campaign, and thank you for that. But we are going to um, just make you aware that we have a building fund. And um, for, for those of you, let me just say, if you're new around here, I am not asking you uh, for anything. And some of you, man, your current tithe and, and, or gift is, is just as much as you or your family can do. And so I just want you to hear me. Thank you. Okay? Um, for some of you... Um, for some of you, maybe as you pray about it, God is will lead you that you want to invest into this and into the future of the church, not just for you, but for future generations. And even some, I'm, this is what we shared in 2017, that somebody invested in the church that you grew up in. And, and now a bunch of people invested in this church building that now you sit in, perhaps before you were even here. And so maybe you have a heart to invest in a ministry that will continue on to reach people and, and make disciples in this community and around the world. And so if you have a heart to do that, as you pray about that, you can give towards that. Just designate it the building fund. And uh, you can do that either online or uh, right in the black giving box in the back. So that's what's happening. Great news, exciting stuff. And I just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness and your generosity over the years. Now. Let's just pray together, and then we'll move on. Lord, we just want to say thank you, um, Lord. As uh, as I look at what you've accomplished here, um, we know this is your work, and Lord, we are grateful that you've allowed us to partner with you in what you're doing. And so we ask for more, um, more people to come and meet you, and to have their eternal destinies changed. Uh, more families and youth to be discipled and sent out into the nations, Lord. Um, that this would be a continued place where people meet you and fall in love with you and grow deep in their relationship with you and then replicate their lives in many others, Lord, and make new disciples. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, today we're going to talk about something that I think probably all of us at some point in our life can relate to. Um, I know I have been able to at different points in my life. Some of you may be there right now. Some of you, you're just past a season. Some of you, there's a season coming up that you're not even aware of yet. But I think we've all come to a place in our life, or many of us, where we just feel like we come short, where we've come to the end of ourselves. And maybe we know maybe it's, we know it's our fault. Maybe like we messed up. We did something that caused that. We know exactly why we're where we're at. Or Maybe despite our best effort and our best planning, things just aren't working out the way that we had hoped or planned or needed them to. In fact, maybe you're in a place like that right now where you find yourself in a situation where if God doesn't come through, it's not going to end well. If God doesn't step in and move and do something, uh, something's going to, something's going to break. I remember, uh, as we were just launching this church where we had to decide, like, if we're going to commit and go for it full time and um, launch into it. And we knew what God was calling us to do, but we'd launched in January. It was December of that year. Almost the whole year had gone by. And there was, uh, you know, we had to walk away from a a perfectly good salary, (laughs) steady salary. And there was like $16,000 year to date giving. At that point, we were going... How's this going to work? But we knew God was calling us to do it. And and we had to make that decision, right? Um, I remember uh, when we were struggling, when we found out we might not have a place to meet anymore. And we're like, oh, no, what do we do? We were running the coffee shop next door, and we called everywhere and couldn't find anything. And literally, here's here's the level of my faith. I was pulling chairs. We had, Anybody remember our blue folding chairs? A lot of you sat in those for a while. These are a lot nicer. Um, you're welcome. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we had these blue folding chairs and I set 25 of them up in the back room of the coffee shop. I'm like, well, I guess if we have to, we can do multiple services in here, God. But we didn't we, we just didn't know what we were gonna do. And we were in this place where if God didn't step in and do something, um it wasn't looking good, right? And some of you have been in a place. And, and then what I've seen in so many people's story is it's in that place that something happens. We call those God things, right? Where you knock on a door and one of them just opens. And you step through it not knowing where it's going to lead. And let me just say that even if you're here and maybe you're a skeptic, you don't really believe all this Bible stuff, let me just say if that's you, we're so glad you're here and we want you to continue to pursue and investigate Jesus and and uh, continue just, like, seeking him out, okay? But maybe you're having a hard time with, you know, with all the kind of, like, God, supernatural stuff. But I bet you've even had a lot of times in your life where you've looked at a situation and you've gone, yeah, that's a little bit serendipitous, or that was lucky. And here's what I think. I mean, you can call it that if you'd like, but as I've talked to a lot of people, there's just way too many lucky things that have happened in a lot of people's lives, right? In fact, let me just ask you, um, how many of you have had an experience in life that you know that you know that was God moving and you can't write it off to a coincidence? Yeah, raise your hand I. That's a whole lot of people in this room. And I get to tell my stories all the time because I have the microphone. Um, But if we were to go around and tell stories, there's some amazing stories in here where you were in one of these kinds of situations and man, God stepped in and he did something that you couldn't orchestrate on your own. And you have no doubt in your heart and your mind, God stepped in in that moment. And today what we're going to talk about is an account that happened about 850 years before Jesus walked the earth, almost 3,000 years ago where God comes and moves in the life of one woman who was at the end of her rope. She was in a desperate situation. She was in a situation where if God didn't come through, it wasn't going to end well. And, uh, to look at that, I want to look at a passage of scripture that, uh, I don't believe I've ever taught before in in all the years I've been teaching. In fact, 10 years ago this week, um, we, my wife and I, we were praying in earnest about starting this church this very week. Um, we were going through GoDaddy. I remember searching on GoDaddy, like looking up web domains around like what's available around Life Community, because we felt like that was the name that God had given us. And so we were praying about it, but we didn't know how any of this was going to look, or if it would even work, or what our timing was, or anything. And I remember we were up at Youth with a Mission Cimarron, I'm right up the road, and I was sharing with uh, one of the directors up there, Galen Horn, and uh, sharing kind of the things that we felt like God was placing on our heart. And she had this, a while later, she's like, I feel like I have this scripture for you that God implanted and printed on my heart for you. And it was this scripture that I'm going to share here today. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you start turning over to 2 Kings. And we're going to be in just a minute in chapter 4. And let me just give you the context of this scripture passage. So the the nation of Israel, um, hundreds and hundreds of years before this, God had spoken to Moses. And he says, when you get into the land, the people are going to want a king. When they get a king, instruct the king, do not take on the customs of the other nations and marry a whole bunch of other foreign wives that worship all these other gods and idols. Because if you do, it will draw their heart away. And as the king's heart's drawn away, it will draw the nation away from God, and they will descend into wickedness and idolatry. And Solomon, like the smartest guy, the wisest guy who ever lived up until Jesus, did something not very smart. So pay attention, smart people. Because being smart doesn't insulate you from doing really unwise things. He ended up marrying, what was it, like 300 wives and 700 concubines. That's just crazy, okay? (laughs) I mean, can we all agree? And he has this giant harem, and before you know it, he's building temples so his wives can be happy and worship their gods the way they did back in their own country. And then before you know it, he's tagging along with his wives. And everything, before you know it, they draw his heart away from being true to the one true God. And the nation falls. The nation splits in two. The nation um, then divides into ten tribes in the north that takes on the nation of Israel, the name of Israel, and two tribes in the south that take on the name of Judah or Judea. And, there, and there's just always all this conflict and treaties for a while and, and conflict for a while, but there's all this division. The nation is divided. There's all this tension. Um, the nation has lost its superpower status. It was a superpower in the region, and now um, it's just this divided nation. And in fact, at this time, I mean, so many have gone after, after the false god Baals. They've been doing things that, like generations before, never could have imagined, like sacrificing their children on the fire to Molech, a demon idol god. Awful, awful things. And during this time, there's, there's, God starts sending prophets to speak to his nation and say, return to me, return to allegiance um, to me, otherwise you're going into exile. It will not end well. And so one of these prophets, you know, uh, there's two really popular prophets, kind of like superstar prophets, you know. One of them's Elijah. And Elijah, at one point, like, challenges 400 prophets of Baal to a, like, pray-off thing. It's an amazing scene, right? Uh, this, like, battle, and and God answers, and fire comes down from heaven and lights the altar, and they kill all the prophets of Baal. Anyway, this crazy scene, right? And then right after that, As so often happens in people's life when they experience great success, he he descends into a great depression. And he's on this mountain where God comes and speaks to him. And he's like, why are you so depressed? And Elijah's like, I'm the only one left. And God's like, no, I have reserved 7,000 who are a faithful remnant, basically. I have reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000 who remained faithful to me. There's a remnant. And out of that, there's this group called the Company of Prophets. And as Elijah reaches the point, and check this out. He was close enough to God that God didn't uh, he'd allow him to die. He took him up in a blazing chariot of fire to heaven. That's cool. I mean, I don't care who you are. That would be a cool way to go, wouldn't it? <laughs> In fact, anybody remember the old movie? No? Just me. Okay. Actually, true story. Very first movie I ever saw in a theater. Um, So that makes me old and nerdy, apparently. Um. (laughs) But uh, right before Elijah descends or uh, ascends up to heaven in this chariot of fire, um, his servant, Elisha, who whose God's like pointed out as the next prophet to carry the mantle. Uh, he's following Elijah. And Elijah's like, what you doing? Like, why don't you stay back there? And he's like, no, I'm not leaving your side. Twice he tells him to leave. And he's like, no, no, I'm staying here. And Elijah strikes this, this river with a cloak and then crosses. And it's this dramatic scene as he takes off his prophet cloak. And, and then finally Elijah's like, well, what do you want? What, what do you want from me? He's like, I want a double portion of what you've got. I like Elisha. He's bold. Give me a double portion of what God is doing through you. And Elijah, Elijah says, okay, I guess if you see me go up, you got it. And so Elisha sees him goes up, go up and his cloak's left here. And I love it because Elisha picks up this cloak and he comes over and he strikes the river with it. And he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the river splits in two, and he crosses like, yeah, I got it. Spirit of God is on me. And ever the rest of the company of the prophets recognizes that he carries now the, the mantle of leadership. And so the story we're going to look at today talks about Elisha, and it talks about a woman. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, here's the situation. It says this, the man or the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. So this guy had been serving Elisha now as as his leader in in the company of the prophets. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. He served God. He loved God. He was faithful to God. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So imagine this situation that she finds herself in. Literally, at the end of her rope, um, if God doesn't step in and do something, if something doesn't happen, it's not going to end well. I mean, we can hardly imagine this, right? If, if you don't pay off your debt, there's no bankruptcy court. Like, you can't just get that debt written off, right? Um, if if you don't pay off that debt, they're actually coming to say to take your kids into slavery. This was a practice in the ancient times, um that basically when you would be completely destitute, oftentimes people would sell themselves into either a period of time or they would sell themselves into indentured servitude in order to pay off their debts. And this is what she's facing. Like her two sons, the only thing she has left in the world, the only, like her hope for being taken care of when she is old, her two sons, and they're, they're getting ready to be taken away by her creditors into slavery. And <laughs> she's desperate. She's desperate. And this is just a little um, side trail, uh, bunny trail, but I think it's worth taking here because Proverbs says, the borrower is slave to the lender. And you see this kind of pattern in Scripture that is, it's not that debt is sinful. In many situations, it's just very unwise, And so, I mean, we look at it, it obviously it means something different in our culture, but it's still true. Some of you have been in that situation where you were buried in consumer debt, where you you bought too much truck, you bought too much house, and before you know it, there was a downturn, something happened, and you found yourself in this place going, oh no, now what do we do? And in a very real sense, you felt enslaved (laughs) to all these bills, which is why we encourage you. And we haven't done a Dave Ramsey course in a while, but we'll hook you up. There's a great online course. If you don't know how to find it, Email us, talk to us, because as people get free of that bad debt, consumer debt that just drags you down, that isn't you know appreciating, um, as people get free of that, boy oh boy, that brings real freedom into their lives. But the slave, the 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 borrower is slave to the lender. She's she's discovered that she's in this she's in this place where she's desperate. And let me just say, sometimes we get ourselves into these situations because of poor planning or poor choices, sometimes because we didn't seek God for wisdom, sometimes because we knew it was wrong, but we went ahead and did it anyway. Maybe that was a relationship thing. Maybe it was a financial thing, whatever that was. And now we're in a situation and we're going, oh, God, I got myself into it. Other times um, we just sort of launch out on our own. We try something and we, haven't, we, we didn't seek God about it. And before you know it, you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> This isn't going well. But sometimes, like I said, you find yourself in a position where regardless of how well you trained or prepared, how prepared you thought you were, still, without God's intervention, it isn't going to end well. And she finds herself in this situation where she doesn't know what to do. And I love what she does because she went to the prophet In Old Testament times, this was seeking God. This was listening to the voice of God. You went to the prophet. Now, here, you know, the Holy Spirit, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you and can lead you. There they might have to travel a day, two weeks, a week journey to go inquire of God. You have hopefully a group, a community that are around you that are filled with the Holy Spirit that can speak to you and give wisdom and counsel and insight and support, right? And and the Holy Spirit leading you. But she goes and she seeks God in this situation, which was exactly what she needed to do. She listened to the voice of God. She didn't just try to figure this thing out on her own because she recognized that unless God unless God moves, um, something is wrong. So she seeks or something isn't going to go well. So she seeks God. Is that where you start when you find yourself in in a desperate situation? Or is your constant habit to try to completely figure the thing out on your own? Some of you, you're in that place right now because you didn't seek God in a situation. Now you're just spinning your wheels trying to come up with a solution and it's not working. And you need to pause and you need to seek God and you need to get some people around you and you need to get some counsel from someone that has an outside perspective that loves God and serves God and listens to God. You need to be in his word seeking him. So she goes to the prophet and and she pours out her heart. And here's what Elisha says. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And I love this because Elisha responds to her with compassion that mirrors God's compassion and God's heart for her. God cared about her individually and those two boys in the situation that she finds herself in. And you know what? God cares about your situation. He cares uniquely and individually for you. We see that in scripture. He cares for you. I know sometimes you don't feel it, but know it acknowledge it because it's true. He cares for you. There's, there's three principles I see in this scripture. The first one is he just cares for you. I mean, all over you see God's heart and compassion for the orphan and the widow. He, he just cares for her and her kids, right? But Jesus says the heaven, your heavenly father cares for you. He says he, he wants you to approach him with your needs and your requests, not because he doesn't know, It says he knows your requests before you even bring them to him. But he cares enough about you that he wants relationship with you and he wants to move in your situation. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He cares for you enough that he was willing to give the life of his only son and then offer you forgiveness freely by trusting in that. He really cares for you. The second one is he cares about the way your life can and will be used for his kingdom. See, this lady's husband had been serving faithfully the one true God. He reverenced God, right? And I'm just saying, I think there's a really good chance these boys are on a path to grow up and and serve God. They're going to be part of that faithful remnant that loves God, that serves God. In fact, there's a good chance they're going to be part of the company of prophets, right? Maybe the next leader's. And God cares not just individually for them. God cares about his purposes in their life. Jesus said something. He said, those who have been faithful with a little will be entrusted with much. And there's a spiritual principle that when you live your life um, devoted to God and his kingdom and his purposes in whatever sphere he's called you in, maybe you're in the business sphere, maybe you're in education, maybe you're, a, uh, maybe you're in inter- arts and entertainment, Maybe you're in health. Maybe you're a, your thing that God's calling you to do in this season of your life is you're pouring your life into your kids. You're changing a lot of diapers. And it doesn't feel very glamorous sometimes. Whatever, whatever place God's called you in, maybe you're serving in government and community. Are you pouring your life? Is your first priority His kingdom? Because God wants to bless you, I believe, because he knows if, if that's the pattern of your life, that whatever your life is poured into, it is first about him. You're prioritizing his kingdom, his purposes. Like Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and it'll all be added to you. If you're living that out, I believe that God has an interest in moving in your situation and blessing you because he knows you've been faithful with a little and you're going to continue to live your life for him as he blesses you with much. The third thing is that God's plan is often bigger and more creative than you think. She has a need right now. And I think it would be really easy for Elisha just to pull a, you know, pull a 20 or a 50 out of his wallet and sort of get this situation behind him. Like, okay, I did my part. And like, here's, here's a little charity. You can go pay your, your, your debtor off for a couple months. But God wants to solve this problem permanently for her. He has a bigger thing than even I believe that she was thinking in the situation. I think she's just thinking, man, I just need a little bit. And God wants to do more than a little bit. God wants to show her how he can move in this situation powerfully. And so Elisha, um, I think, hears this from God, and he asks an interesting question. Well, what do you have in your house? What do you have? Verse 2, the second part, she says, Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Nothing there. Well, I mean, it's not really anything, but except this little jar of olive oil that's left over. They would use that in cooking and mixing with flour and making bread. Some of you are bakers. And that's all she's got left. I mean, this woman is in a desperate situation. And if you understand this time in, in the history of the nation, in a desperate time in the nation, things aren't going well. And she's personally in a desperate situation. And this, it, and this is all she has. And it seems like nothing. But Elisha sees something. And God sees something. And it seems like nothing. But it's not nothing, is it? It's something. Remember that, John? We talked about that a while ago if you've been here with us for a little while. John 5. Little boy had lunch. There was this big crowd. Jesus says, feed the crowd to his disciples. What do you got? Nothing. Well, this little boy's lunch. And Jesus is like, well, that's that's not nothing. That's something. And I want to take that little something that you think is nothing, and I want to do something amazing with it. (laughs) I'm going to blow your mind with that. But I'm going to ask you to give what you have. I'm going to ask you to use what you have. I'm going to ask you to invest what's been poured into you in the thing that I want to do. Are you willing to do that? See, this is faith. And, And the spiritual principle behind this is this, that that God often asks us to deploy the little we have and then he does something amazing with it. I've seen this over and over again when it comes to ministry. It's that little first step. It's that stepping out and saying, okay, I'm going to go from zero to one. You know, the hardest step is usually from zero to one. That I'm not doing anything right now and I'm going to take a step. Whew. Well, I guess we're still here. God's... God was faithful. (laughs) And from there, you just take the next step. We talk about this all the time because I think it's such a powerful spiritual principle. God rarely shows you what's going to come five, 10 years down the road, but he almost always shows you what the very next step you take is. Take that step. Invest that thing. Start that business. Make that phone call. Have that conversation about Jesus with someone. Invite your neighbor over for dinner. What's the step? And then he takes that and he does something with it. And so it goes on, it says, Elisha told her, Okay, you got something there. He says, So here's what I want you to do go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Isn't that awesome? Go around, ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. And here's the faith step pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Now she's thinking, little jar of oil, lots of jars. Does that sound like an equation for success? Kind of like five loaves, two fish, crowd of 15,000, 20,000 people total, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not really going to work until you factor in what? God, we call this kingdom math. Two plus two plus two does equal four. I don't care what they're teaching in school these days. It does equal four, okay? <laughs> two plus two equals four. But two times two equals, you guys are good, okay? Does two times two equal enough to feed 5,000? No. (laughs) Sorry. But when you put little algebraic brackets around those and then you factor that in times Jesus, there's no telling what can happen, right? It's called kingdom math. This is called kingdom math. This is how it works and she has to she's asked to do the hard thing she's asked to do something that feels very silly at the time don't you realize that but it's also very strategic because this is a time where there's not a lot of abundance and so there's a lot of empty jars in her neighbors houses that they don't really need for anything and so she capitalizes on that elisha recognizes that and says hey i want you to go and ask all your neighbors they know you're in a hard situation um, your husband just died, so they're going to have some compassion for you. And besides that, they've got all these jars laying around in their shelves that they don't need, because everybody's struggling right now. And so I want you to go ask. It's an opportune time. Uh, my great-grandpa, Grandpa Ernie. I just thought of this. Didn't tell it last night. but My great-grandpa. Um, it was during the Great Depression. He had graduated architecture school. Didn't have any work, and he meets this this guy that was working with this little like sugar water company called Coke, um, Coca Cola. And the guy's like, "Well, I don't have any money to pay an architect, and you don't have any work. What if you design our bottling plants?" And my great grandpa said, "Okay, I'll do that." And he put what he had in him to work for no pay, but he got some stock in the company. And you know what? That lifted him out of the lower middle class years and years ago. That was a big deal. And it was that willingness to capitalize in that moment on something. That's what faith does. It's willing to look a little silly. It's willing to take a little risk. See, Noah, when he built the ark for 100 years, man, he looked kind of silly, didn't he? Yep. Yep. I, think of the memes that they sent around about Noah. They're texting each other. <laughs> think of the Noah dad jokes. I mean, anyway. Priests, when they waited down in the waters to part, um, as they're waiting, <laughs> I studied this Joshua passage, as they're waiting probably a couple hours for the water to part, <laughs> feeling a little silly. It's stepping in first, right? Waters don't part till you get your feet wet. This is the principle Elisha is teaching her. And if you want to see a move of God in and through your life, you need to gather some jars and don't ask for just a few. How big's your faith? You need to faithfully do the work he's asking you to do. You know, something in common with almost every overnight success that I know is they faithfully did the small, unnoticed things for years and years. Guarantee it. We like to look at the highlight reel on Facebook and think, wow, look at that, that's amazing. But you don't see all the hard work that went into it. The biblical principle here is you do what you can do. You do what God leads you to do and you faithfully do it and you don't do it half-heartedly. You do it to the full extent you can and then you let God come through and do what only God can do because only God can multiply oil, right? You can't do that. But he asks you to do your part first. And so she left him and so she sends her sons out, right? Verse five, um, before we get there. She sends her sons out, I'm sure. And they're like, what are we doing, mom? You're going to go out. You're going to ask all the neighbors for jars. And they're running around the whole neighborhood collecting all these jars. And they come back, all right. And they're probably teenage or you know, young boys. And they're like, all right, we got six of them. That's enough. We're tired. And she's like, no, get more. And so they come back. And they're like, OK, that's enough. No more, mom. No, go out. Get more. Anybody have teenage boys, right? Yeah. <laughs> get more. Get more. And before you know it, they have all these jars in the back room. And they shut the door. Can you imagine her heart beating? Going, is this really going to work? Or is this just really silly? She left them. She shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring and pouring and pouring. You know, I've heard some really cool modern-day examples of, of this kind of thing. Like locally, hot chocolate multiplying in an outreach event. They don't know how. <laughs> Africa, like communion multiplying. They don't know how. It just did. Uh, toys being given away. Like in a toy giveaway to kids. They didn't have enough. Somehow, there was enough. God's still doing stuff like this. She kept pouring and pouring, and when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. Do you notice that the provision expanded to the level of her faith? I find that an interesting principle. See, We teach regularly here um, as a reaction to some false teaching um, in in some areas that some people have heard that basically says you can manipulate God like, hey, it's a guarantee you give God one, he'll give you 10 back. Or faith is like a force. If you can just work up enough faith, God will do anything you ask whether or not it's what he wants to accomplish in the world. That if you follow Jesus, you're guaranteed to be healthy, wealthy. Only problem with that is like all of the Bible and church history. <laughs> God never promised it's going to be easy. But I think sometimes in a reaction to that, um, maybe something that I do and, and I don't ever want to, it, it is I allow you to think somehow that that faith can be discounted and it can't be. See, we're called to hold this thing's intention. You are called to step out in faith and trust God for great things in your life, in your business, in the work he's called you to do in this world. Don't ever discount faith. Don't ever discount it. This expanded to the portion in proportion to her Faith. God called her, go out. Recognize this was in obedience to God. She didn't just go out and do this because it was her idea. This was in obedience to the word of God. And so as you pray and as you seek God and you believe strongly he's leading you in a direction, you go for it. You don't just gather a few. You follow through. You have faith. You step forward into what he's calling you to do. God calls you to do your part, but only he can multiply the oil. Always remember that. Always remember that. And what I found so many times is it looks way different than you thought it would. Because a lot of times he gives you a step and a direction, and he knows the place he's calling you to. But it's going to look different when you get there than you think. Honestly, I can't believe, I mean, I look back at what God's done here, and I'm like, wow, God. The plan you had (laughs) was bigger than the faith I had. Verse seven, she went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Pay your debts, get out of this situation that's enslaving you. And then trust God that you're gonna be able to live on, on what's left here. Let me just say, she steps out. And I think there's going to be some incredible opportunities for some of you. As you gather jars, don't ask for just a few. Don't ask for just a few. God poured out the oil in response to her obedience and faith. Are you asking God the direction he wants you to go in whatever situation you're in? And then are you responding in faith by gathering not just a few? I think there's going to be some incredible opportunities for some of you over the next few years. I have a sense that we're going to, as a nation, experience some really hard times. And I think in the midst of that, just like this opportunity for her to gather jars, man, some of you are going to have some incredible opportunities to take some steps of faith, not foolish steps, but as you pray and follow God um, he's going to direct you to take some things that maybe feel like a risk and you're going to step into something and you're going to see him bless in incredible ways. Not just for you, he cares about you, it is for you, but for his bigger purposes in this world. Because that's what ultimately it's all about. And what God does in her life is not just for her, it's for those boys who are going to come up and be part of the faithful remnant and impact their nation for God. It's not just, it's never just about you. What do we say around here all all the time? Life is for you, not about you. It's never just about you. It's about his kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to seek first his kingdom. What does God want to use your life and the opportunities he's given you to further his kingdom? How does he want to use your business, your influence, the way you serve in the community to further his kingdom and his purposes? I was reading a... uh, a sermon by, by Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the last couple hundred years. And he was talking about this spiritual principle that when it comes to stepping out in faith regarding what he's calling us to do for his kingdom, he, he talks about this passage where it says, enlarge the place of your tents. And the idea behind this is, hey, God has promised that he's going to do something that he's going to bless in this situation. And if God is leading you in a situation, God has promised he's going to build his church and people are going to find Jesus, and nothing's going to stop that. Because of that, you prepared now, and you act like that's already going to happen. Here, check out what he says. He says this, prepare for the Spirit of God. Do not pray for it, and then fold your arms and say, well, perhaps we will work. We ought to act as though we were certain he would work mightily. We must prepare in faith, believe that with God a promise is as good as the fulfillment and act when you have the promise as you would have acted if you had already seen the promise fulfilled. That's what the jars are about. Are you doing your part? He's called you in a direction. He has purposes for his kingdom to reach others for him. Are you doing your part? Are you gathering and not just a few? He goes on, he says this: never be satisfied with what God is doing in the conversion of souls. Be grateful, but hunger after more. If He gives 10 souls, ask for a hundred. If he gives hundred, ask for a thousand. If a thousand, ask for 10,000. Insatiable as the grave ought the Christian's heart to be with regard to the glory of God. Don't ask for just a few. Don't ask for just a few. I'm gonna invite Mercedes to come back up here and Gabriel, and we're gonna close with singing a little bit of the song, one of the songs we sang earlier. Let me just ask you, what's your just a few? What is your not just a few that maybe God is calling you into? Are you asking God for anything? What are you asking God for? And are you willing to work in preparation for what he wants to do? Man, let me just tell you, 10 years ago, as I was up at Youth with a Mission Cimarron, and Galen shared the scripture. She says, Here, here's the scripture. I feel like God gave me this for you. Um, it's this scripture from the, the woman, and go collect jars and not just a few." And we're like, "Okay, well, what does that mean?" And we've just kind of held on to that over the years. And you know, as we were looking at starting out, um, that came to our mind as we were 35 people on a Saturday night praying about this ridiculously large building next door, that came to my heart and mind. There's <laughs> just not a few. Hmm, maybe, maybe there's something there, God. As we were trying to decide and pray about, do we cancel Saturday night, put all of our eggs in one basket and just go with Sunday, because that would make a lot more sense. That would be what all the church planning managers say to do, but we don't feel that. We feel like God's calling us to, to keep both of these not just a few. That thing constantly came back to my heart and my mind. What's God got for you? What's your just a few? You know, as a church family, we are committed to continue to look for new ways to do the hard work of preparation God's calling us to do and to see God reach many hearts in our community. We're committed to continuing to make this a welcoming place, to continue to make room for people To continue to add kids, volunteers, and staff so that we can keep serving all your kids and all your friends' kids as you invite them. But what about you? What has God placed on your heart right now that maybe seems impossible in the situation you're in? Are you in a situation that maybe feels a little bit hopeless? What jar, what's the jar God's asking you to collect? What's the part he's asking you to play? What is your step of faith? If you don't know, it's time to seek God. It's time to get in some community, maybe your, your small group, or get some people around you. Talk to us and we'll help you. Be proactive, seek what God has for you. Ask yourself, have I gathered all I possibly can in this situation, or am I holding back because of a lack of faith? He who is entrusted with a little will be entrusted with much. And sometimes, for some of you, man, when you've done all you can do in a situation, you have to remember only God can multiply the oil. And for some, that's the place you're in, just saying, okay, God, I'm waiting for it. Would not you stand? Father, I just pray right now that you would, as, as we sing this song, uh, for some here that need you to multiply the oil in their situation, would they call out to you and experience a little bit of breakthrough in this moment?